Thank you very much. Let's take God's word together and open again to that Old Testament book of two Chronicles. And I'm going to try to be brief this morning. We've had a lengthy meeting already, but we're glad that you're here. And, and there's nothing more important than opening the word of God. I want to challenge you this morning. I believe, would you look this way for a moment? I believe that most people who call themselves Christians live so far beneath what God has for them. Most people who call themselves children of God live so far below what God has prepared for them. In fact, most of us never really reach what God has for us in this life. Most of us never really experience what God wants us to. And there are many reasons for that. While I was in Africa last week, we took a day and went whitewater rafting down the great Zambezi River. Pastors are allowed to have fun sometimes as well. And so a group of us, we went down uh, the great Zambezi. It's Africa's fourth largest river and the largest river in Africa that flows to the east. And amazing. We walked down this m- massive gorge. And by the way, the Zambezi is where the Victoria Falls in, uh, empties into And the Victoria Falls, the waterfalls, is one of the seven wonders of the world, spanning almost a mile in length. Remarkable. But as we were walking down this massive gorge down to the Zambezi River, that was harder than the whitewater rafting, by the way. All those hundreds of steps, steep steps. And our guide was a local uh, Zimbabwean, and he was flying down those steps. And if you know know anything about me and some of the other fellas, like Seth, we're a little bit competitive. And so we, we're thinking, if he can go that fast, we can go that fast. The trouble is, I'm getting old, and I'm not used to doing that. So as I began to make my way down those steps, I was holding on for dear life, and my che- heart was beating out of my chest. I felt like I was going to have a heart attack before I ever got on the raft. But do you know, all the way down, I was worried about holding on to the rail, and worried about slipping, and and uh, worried about breaking my neck. And by the time I made it down, I don't know how long it took us, but by the time I made it down, and I was huffing and puffing and barely able to breathe, and I rested on my knees, and, and one of our men nudged me, and he said, look up. And when I looked up, I saw the most beautiful sight I've ever seen with my eyes. The beauty of God's creation as we looked at the Victoria Falls, a part of the Victoria Falls waterfall in front of us. In this gorge, I don't know how high, but the beauty of it all was just shocking, overwhelming. And do you know what I realized? I realized that my entire journey down, I was so preoccupied with steps and stairs and railings and heart attacks that I missed it all. I didn't even see it. And do you know most of us live our life like that? Most of us go through life so worried about slipping and falling and heart attacks and this could happen and that might happen. And we're so busy looking down in life that we never see the great grandeur of God's creation and will for our lives. On the airplane home, on the first leg of our flight, we had three flights on the way home. One from uh, Victoria Falls to Johannesburg, South Africa, and then and then uh, on to Zurich, Switzerland, and then to London. But on my first flight, I picked up this book by Frank Borm and read a chapter in it. And the title of the little chapter that I read was this. It is entitled, The Tonic of Big Things. The Tonic of Big Things. And it began in the opening words of this chapter to explain how in his day, in the Victorian era, 
if you went to a doctor with an ailment or a problem, do you know what one of the most common remedies was in the Victorian era? No matter what your problem was, if it was something with your heart or your health, one of the most common remedies was they'd send you to the seaside. You know what I'm talking about? If you had a problem, no matter what it was, the doctor would say, what you need is a few days by the sea. And you think, well, that's not what I need. I need some medication. I need some. But they would send them to the sea, and the doctor knew that if you could just get away from all the little trivial problems of your life and get a glimpse of the vastness of the ocean, you would begin to recognize there's a whole lot more out there than your little problems. Some of the best remedies and tonics for life's problems is to be able to look beyond yourself. And I want this morning to speak very briefly about this. In 2 Chronicles chapter 25, we have this story about King Amaziah. And uh, this man is a lot like us, by the way. Amaziah, he became a king and he hit the ground running. Boy, he, he, he went as hard and fast as he could go. He was a hard-working man. But the problem was, like us, he was very short-sighted. Just before my trip to Africa, I went and had a, a test on my eyes. It's been three years since I've seen the, the eye doctor, and I wear glasses and contact lenses daily, and they were fussing at me incessantly. So I went, finally, to get my test, my eyesight test done. And my problem is I am short-sighted. I can see no problem uh, here. But I can't really see at a distance unless I have my glasses or contact lenses in. Most people are spiritually short-sighted. All we can see is what's right in front of us. All we can see is today, our problems today, our, our excitement today. But very few of us have the ability to see at a distance. Very few of us have any vision or expectation. We're like this king, Amaziah. Now I want you to look at our text in 2 Chronicles 25. This man was very proactive. And by the way, proactive means you create or control a situation rather than just responding to it after it's happened. I like to be proactive, don't you? I like it when people are proactive. When they're looking around and they're looking for potential problems. I like for people to be proactive. But the trouble is Christianity involves more than just being proactive. Being proactive is more than being active, by the way. My children are active, but they're not very proactive. My children are active from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. They don't really get much accomplished, but they're very active. A lot of us are like that. We're very active, busy, busy, busy. We don't actually get anything accomplished for the glory of God, but we're busy anyways, and we feel better about it. But we often feel even better about ourselves when we're proactive. When we start looking and planning and organizing, and we think, that's it, we're going to really get something done. But that was part of this man's problem. And part of our problem in our lives is that by being proactive, by taking initiative, we sometimes miss the will of God and we miss the vision of God because we're blinded by our own vision. Blinded by our own will. In verse number 3, the Bible says, When it came to pass, when the kingdom was established to him, that he slew his servants that had killed the king his father, he got, got busy. There were some folks who killed his father. He took care of them immediately. Verse 5, Amaziah gathered Judah together, made them captives over thousands, captains over hundreds, according to the house of their fathers. He got busy. Let's make an army. We're going to get to war. We're going to take territory. We're going to advance. He was very proactive. Not only that, but in verse 6, he hired a 100,000 mighty men of valor for 100 talents. 
Here is a man who got busy. Now, I like busy people. They say that if you want to get anything done, find somebody who's the busiest and give it to them. That's the truth, really, isn't it? It shouldn't be that way, but usually the reason people are busy is because uh, they want to serve. And the re usually the reason some people aren't busy is because they don't want to. And I've, I've been there before. I've tried to give things to people who aren't busy and, and it just doesn't happen. Doesn't get done. That's frustrating. So you end up usually giving the work to people who are busy, you know, who are active. It shouldn't be that way, but that's the way it is. And here's a man who was getting it done. He was proactive. He was going for it. But I remind you, sometimes our proactiveness is just a great distraction. Just a great distraction from what God really has for us. Would you look this way for a moment? Can I ask you this morning, are you distracted by your own plans? Are we distracted by our own ideas, our own plans, our own schemes? He was. Not only that, but here's a man who sacrificed much. I like people who are willing to make a sacrifice, aren't you? Don't you? I like people who are willing to lay it all on the line. I have some friends in this congregation right now, and I know they don't have very much money at all. But I do know that if I was in a pinch and I needed something, I would go to them. Although there are other people in this congregation who have lots of money, maybe a hundred times more money that some of these friends of mine have. But I know that this, these people who barely have anything at all, I know that in a second they would give it to me without asking. Because they're sacrificial giving people. I like that. My wife and I have tried to live that way. We've never ever had much money, but when we have been given a little bit, we have always tried to be giving. We've always tried to be sacrificial. I like that. But sometimes... We give for the wrong reasons. Sometimes we give to try to get something out of it. It's like these people who go to the shop to, and load up trolleys full of shopping to give to the homeless. Then they take photographs and post it all over Facebook. Well, they're giving, but they're doing it so that they can get something out of it because they look good, right? Well, put my picture on, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Or they go to feed the homeless and they want to take photographs of it. Put their arm around somebody. And sometimes we give for the wrong reasons. We give to be seen. We give to get something out of it. Here's a man who gave. He gave a lot. He sacrificed a lot. He paid a hundred talents of silver to, in order to hire these mercenaries, as it were, to, to get something done. But sometimes sacrifice isn't always a sign of obedience to God. It might be you're sacrificing for yourself. But I've, I've heard people talk like this. But I've given, I've given this much to the church and I've done this much. Well, hold on just a moment. I'm glad you have. But have you done it out of a pure heart? In Luke chapter 12, we read in verse number 16. Listen to what Jesus tells us in Luke 12 and verse number 16. He spake a parable saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, What shall I do because I have no more room where to bestow my fruits? I've run out of space. I'll tell you what I'll do. He says, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns, build greater barns. He was proactive. And there will I bestow all my fruits and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? You know the parable? Here's a man who, who is busy, hardworking, proactive, 
storing up loads. He had loads and he said, I'm going to build, tear my barns down, build bigger barns so I can take it easy. He was living for himself. His proactiveness, his gain was all for himself. And would you look this way for a moment? There's a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are doing nothing more than living for themselves. Building bigger barns and bigger bank accounts. And here's a man, do not be fooled. Here's a man who was busy and a man who was sacrificial and prosperous, but he was missing the point altogether. In fact, when the prophet came to him and said, hold on, I know you've just hired servants you've hired a hundred thousand mighty men we don't need them tell them to go home and you know what he said but what about my money well, hold on i just paid a hundred talents of silver you're going to tell these men to go home what about my money can i tell you that's exactly the way many christians think today we plan and we're proactive and we labor and we work and we're sacrificial and god says stop that's not what I've told you to do. I want you to go this way. And then we say, well, but what about all, all that I've invested? What about all that I've given? God's not really interested necessarily in all that you've invested and all that you've given. God is interested in your obedience to him. And I love this response. The prophet says, the Lord is able to give thee much more than this. And I want to talk for just a few moments about this. God is able to give you more than this. There's more than what we have right now. There's more. There's more in every angle imaginable. The Lord is able to give thee much more. Our God is a God of much more. We live, look here, we live so far below what God offers and what God wants for us. And we never think that perhaps there's more. Because we get distracted down below with the little details of the railings and the steps and the potential heart attacks and the potential problems that we don't look up and see that God has much more. And can I say this morning today, if you are lost, if you have never been born again, there is a better life. There is a life of much, much more. There's more to life than getting up in the morning and going to work from nine to five, earning an honest living, coming home eating your dinner, your fish and chips, or sausage and mash, whatever it may be, and putting your head on your pillow at night, going to sleep, and then waking up tomorrow and doing it all over again. There's more. There's much more that you've never experienced. If you today have never been saved, you don't recognize what you're missing. Jesus tells us in John, one of my favorite verses, John says this, I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved. Would you look here for a moment? Today, you need to be saved. And it's as simple as walking through a door. You all walk through a door of this tent, a flap of this tent to come in today. And salvation is as simple as walking through the door. Jesus is the door. He that enters in shall be saved. But he says in the next verse, the thief has come. That's Satan. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Satan has come to steal your days and to steal your life. He's come not just to steal, but he's come to kill, to suck the life out of you, to destroy you. He's come to rob you of all of life's blessings. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. That's much more. Jesus offers to you today a life of abundance 
that you've never experienced, that you've never tasted before. Our God is a God of much more. And Christian, are you listening, child of God? This is for you as well. There is more to the Christian life than what most of us are experiencing right now. There's more. I want to give you a few times in the New Testament where we read about much more. And they're found, most of them are found in the book of Luke, at least the ones I'm going to look at today. In Luke chapter 11, we read, pardon me, Luke chapter 7, we read about John the Baptist. And I love this portion. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus says to these people after John had left, he says, what were you looking for? What went you out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What went you out to see? A man clothed in fine raiment and soft raiment? Behold, they which are gorgeously apparelled and live delicately are in the king's courts. But what went you out for to see? A prophet? Now watch this. He's talking about John. Did you go out looking to see a prophet? And Jesus says, Yea, I say unto you, much more than a prophet. We're talking about God able to give you today much more. Do you know the the highest level in a in a in a uh, in a person's life, you could say, the highest level that you could reach in many ways amongst these people was the was the role in the office of a prophet. A prophet was a man who heard from God and then took the word of God to the people. And everybody revered and respected the prophet. And Jesus said about John, Did you go to see a prophet? No, no, no. John is much more than a prophet. And here's what Jesus was saying. He's able to take us and give us much more than what the human mind can imagine as being the greatest thing possible. God is able to give us much more. John wasn't just a prophet. He was much more than a prophet. And you and I can also be much more than just a Christian. Do you know that? Most people are content to live simply with the title of Christian which they only show every once in a while when they meet a Christian. We call those undercover Christians. You never really know they're a Christian until you tell them that you're a Christian. Then they say, oh, I'm a Christian too. I'm not a real Christian. Not a real out-and-out Christian. Not one living in the grace and mercy and gifts that God has called us to live in. We're living far below. We can be much more than a Christian, much more than a prophet. He said, hold on a moment now. Don't get too excited. John wasn't, he was prophesied by, in the Old Testament by Isaiah that he would be the forerunner of Jesus. Are you trying to say we can be like him? No, I'm trying to say we can be greater. In the very next verse, Jesus says this. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I don't quite understand that, but Jesus said it and I believe it. You and I can be greater than even John the Baptist who was, a, who was more than a prophet. We've entered into the kingdom of God. We've entered into Christ. We have the Savior living in us and we live in Him. There's much, much more. And as soon as we as a church and as Christians can wake up and recognize, wake up and smell the coffee as it were, there's more to life. You and I can be doing more for the glory of God. We can be closer to Jesus than we've ever been before. There's more. 
We've got to stop settling for nominal Christianity. We've got to stop living so far beneath what he has for us. The Lord is able to give thee much more than this. In Luke chapter 11 and verse number 9, we're told, Ask and it shall be given you. Sometimes we don't have because we don't ask. Seek and you shall find. Some people say, well, I, 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 happy to, I'd like to be a Christian, but you know, uh, you know I, I, I've tried. It's just not working. If you seek, you will find. The Bible says, if you seek, God said, if you seek me with all of your heart, you shall find me. It's a promise. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Are you knocking? That's a progression. Asking, seeking, and then when you, when you found, you knock, and you knock, and you knock, until he answers the door. And then Jesus says this, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? I don't know any father that would be that cruel. I'm sure there are some cruel fathers in the world. But there's some good fathers in this congregation. I know that. And I know, fathers, that if your children came to you and they said, Daddy, would you give me some bread? I know you wouldn't be so cruel as to give them a stone to chew on. Or if your child asked you for a fish, will you give him a serpent? We were walking along the Zambezi and Gavin was telling us a story. He was telling us a story of how he was traveling one day with a, with a friend who stopped on the side of the road and, and was quite desperate for the loo and he disappeared and he said, and he never came back. And he waited and waited several moments and several, several minutes went by and he waited and waited. He thought something's wrong and he finally went to go look for his friend and he found his friend in the belly of a rock boa, a rock serpent. There his friend was swallowed whole by this snake. I said to Gavin, I'll stay right here in the car, okay? And for the rest of our trip, Seth said, are there snakes around here? <laughs> we know the danger of a serpent, of a snake. If your child says, I'd like a bit of fish, would you give him a dangerous serpent? Of course you wouldn't. And Jesus said, or if he asked an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? Of course you wouldn't. So then if you and I, being evil, if we're hard, if we're not... If we're not good people, if we being evil, we're corrupt, we're broken. If we know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more? There is, there is again, how much more? How much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? God wants to give you more, much more. He wants to give you of his spirit. And some people get a little funny, a little squirmy about this. And so you can't divide the spirit and give it part of the spirit now. But we're talking about the fullness of his spirit. We're talking about what Jesus said in John chapter 7 and in verse number 37 and 38. Jesus talked about how out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living water. John chapter 7 verse 37 and 38. I'm telling you there's more to the Christian life than you have right now. There's more of God's spirit to experience than we have now. I'm not talking about a craziness. I'm not talking about silliness. But I am talking about being filled with God's spirit, being led by God's spirit, being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. There's more. There's more. Jesus said in John 7, 37, If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. And he that believeth on me, as the scriptures have said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. Now, if Jesus said out of our belly should flow, riv not river, rivers. We took a 
cruise, a river boat cruise. Well, Gavin drove us on a boat down the Chobe River in Botswana, one of, the, one of Africa's beautiful rivers. We were on the Great Zambezi River. And the Bible says rivers, plural, will flow out of your belly. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know the last time I experienced such a flowing of God's Spirit out of me. And if Jesus promised us that we would have that and we're not having it, it's not his fault. It's not his fault. There's much more to experience. You say, well, that's a little bit, you know, you're getting a little bit carried away. In Colossians, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Colossae and he talks about Jesus. By him, all things were created in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Did you know that? Evolution did not create the world. Jesus Christ did. He's the creator. And he, the Bible says, is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn of all the dead, from the dead. And let's watch this, that in him he might have the preeminence. And it pleased the Father that in him, in Jesus, should all the fullness dwell. Do you know that in Jesus Christ, he has all the fullness of God. In fact, in chapter 2, it says, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Everything that there is about the character and person of God is residing in Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And Jesus was walking on this earth. But let me show you something more amazing. Are you listening? As great and marvelous as Father, Son, and Holy Ghost living inside of Jesus, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1 verse 27 that this, that whom God would make known the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, watch this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now look, are you listening? All the power of God the Father is in Jesus. All the power of God, the Spirit, is in Jesus. All the power of God is in Jesus, and Jesus is inside of you. That means all the power of the Godhead dwells inside of you, and we live such weak, anemic Christian lives. What's wrong with us? There's much, much more than this. We must recognize and live, start living in the much more. Two more verses and I'll be finished. In Luke chapter 12, verse 24, we find it again. Consider the ravens, the birds. They don't sow, they don't reap. They neither have storehouses or barns and God feeds them. How much more are you better than them? Much more. That's how much more. Much more. Chapter 12, verse 28. Uh, if God clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Look here for a moment. The reason, the one reason why we live so far below what God has for us is because we don't have faith. O ye of little faith. The reason we're living like we're living is because we lack faith. We're happy to go on in this nominal measure of Christianity, which is empty, lifeless, and dead. But I don't know about you. I want more. Much more. And I believe there is much more. It's good for us to every once in a while leave the 
comforts and familiarity of home. It's good sometimes to leave the uh, the, the comfort and safety of the four walls of your own house and the familiarity of your city and country and to go somewhere else in the world for your eyes to be opened and to realize, hold on a moment, we just have a little tiny piece and drop of the puzzle. There's much more. God is at work. God is far greater, far grander than all that we've ever seen or could ever imagine. And truly, as my dear friend Pastor Bassett has said many times, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And Romans 5, it's a chapter of much more. Romans 5, Paul says, much more than God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And if that wasn't enough, much more than being now justified by his blood, we be saved from wrath. Isn't that amazing? Jesus didn't just die for, for us, but he justified us and saved us from the judgment to come. And then it says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. There's much more. And again in verse 15, not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God. And in verse 17, uh, much more they which receive the abundance of grace. And in verse 20, one of my favorite verses, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Here's what I'm trying to say. There's more. There's more. And if we're not careful, we will get caught up in the little things below and miss the big. We need a tonic of big things. Now, the little things have to be taken care of. But the Bible says, despise not the day of small things. But we must always keep an eye on the big things. We must always keep an eye on a great vision of a great God and expect and anticipate that the best is yet to come. May the Lord help us. I was reading this chapter and he quoted uh, my dear friend John Bunyan. You may know that man. And he was quoting from Grace Abounding. Bunyan said, While I was thus afflicted with the fears of my own damnation, there were two things that would make me wonder. One was when I saw old people hunting after the things of this life as if they should live here always. Did you hear that? It amazed me, John Bunyan said, that I, I saw people who are old, getting ready to die, still chasing after things from this world like they were going to live here forever. And the other thing was this. When I found professors, those who profess Christianity, much distressed and cast down when they met with outward losses. Lord, thought I, what a do is here about such little things as these. Two things surprised him. That old people were still chasing after things of this world, thinking they were going to live here forever. And number two, those who call themselves Christians were so grieved when they lost something. So trifled about little things. Is that you today? Just totally distracted by little things. There's more, isn't there? Much more. Don't let the little things of life steal your time and your energy and your vision. There's more. If you're here today and you're not saved, believe me, there's much more. There's much more. Christian, there's more.
Let's bow our heads together and we'll sing our final hymn. Father, we bow before Thee today and acknowledge that there's got to be more. Truly, Thou hast blessed us beyond imagination. And we rejoice at what we've already tasted and seen. But we do pray that we would have faith to believe and trust Thee that the Lord is able to give us much more than this. A much more intimate walk with Thee. A much more real communion with Thee. We pray, Father, that we might know what it is to walk in the fullness of Thy Spirit. That we might know what it is to be led and guided by Him. That there be less of us. That we would say with John, I must decrease and He must increase. We thank Thee, Lord, for the much more that has been granted. Open our eyes that we may see it and live in it. And give us faith, we pray. I pray for those who are lost today. Help them to see they're missing something that can only be found in Jesus. Bless now this word to our hearts and minds and memory, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.